0: Welcome, you're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Okay, well welcome, uh, good morning and welcome to Oak Hills once again. It is my privilege to get to uh, dive into God's Word this morning Uh, With us, we are coming to the end of this series that we've been in. Um, Okay, I thought we had gone over this a couple of months ago. Usually, when you come to the end of a series and somebody says we're coming to the end of the series, usually some sort of response from you all, No, 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 (laughs) not that one. The opposite kind of response. Okay, now we will keep doing this until we get it right. Try again. Try again. Yeah. Well, we are finishing up our series this morning that we've been calling. Whoa. "Breathing." Oh, see how much better that is. Did you see, uh, it's a series we've been calling Breathing Life, where we've been looking at the different things that we as followers of Christ can do together as a community that actually breathe life, not just into one another as Christ followers, but actually breathe life into the world that we live in. So over the last few uh, months, we've been looking at the celebration of the Lord's Table, proclaiming the gospel, being with the least of these, leading a community, being with children. Last week, uh, Pastor Mike talked about the power of reconciliation. And this morning we are ending our series with a look at uh, this uh, kingdom prayer and how, as we pray together through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we can breathe life in a world that is literally gasping for air. And, uh, you know, just when you do this thing of standing in front of others and preach, You Every once in a while, actually quite often, but sometimes it's more than others, you have to talk about things that you're not very good at. And this, of course, is one of those weeks for me. Uh, Prayer has been a lifelong journey of learning and trying to understand. And it has been a stumbling, fumbling journey that I personally have been on. And so... I just have to say, this is always the case whenever anybody speaks here, me especially, but even more especially in this week, I feel the weight of, you might get the wrong idea, that when I talk about this stuff, that I actually understand what it is that I'm saying. And that I actually have got it all figured out. And so I ask for your patience and grace for me that you not judge me too harshly as a hypocrite, but just understand we're all on this road of learning and journeying together. Uh, so with that in mind, would you um, turn into your Bibles uh, into Matthews chapter six, starting in verse nine, and then if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? And so, Father, we come humbly before you that you would remind us of the charge that we have and the great power that lies when we come together in unity before you to pray. So, mobilize our spirits today that we might join you and that your kingdom would come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, some of you may not have realized this, but it's actually NBA finals season. Uh, or, or as those of us fans of the Sacramento Kings like to call it, summer vacation, <laughs> as it has now been 16 seasons since the Kings have even been in the playoffs, uh, and this year uh, is especially painful uh, since it is also coincidentally the 20th anniversary of the closest the Kings have ever gotten to sniffing. Anything that somewhat resembles NBA success, which was the seven-game Western Conference Championship series with the Los Angeles Lakers, that, <laughs> that ended with with what is rise, what are widely recognized all around the world as two of the worst officiating jobs. In NBA history. But of course, even though uh, the Kings never went all the way, that three or four year run of the early 2000s represent really the glory days of Kings basketball. And because of that, a bunch of those guys from that team have gotten their jersey retired. So these days, if you go to a Kings basketball game, you look up to the rafters, you see the names Weber and Stojakovic and Divots, and their jerseys hanging from the rafters. But along with them, there is a nameless jersey that is hanging there with the number six on it. It was retired kind of in that same time period, not because of any one player that wore it, but it was retired to honor the fans. The fans that the team and their organization referred to as the sixth man, hence the number six. You see, back then, the Kings played in this little place called Arco Arena, and it was a relatively small venue that packed spectators and fans in so tight that you almost felt like you were on top of the court. It was always full. It was always loud and so Arco Arena was known throughout the league as one of the toughest places for opposing teams to play because the crowd was so passionately for the Kings and so passionately against anybody else who showed up to play and when you'd go to a game you really felt like you really felt like you were a part of it There was this collective sense all across town that we as spectators, that we had a role to play. That we, in a very real way, affected the outcome of every game. That with our support, our voices, we could strengthen and encourage, that we could breathe life into the players on the floor. And I know that you folks who aren't sports fans here in the room are now all rolling your eyes at me like it's the ranting of every wannabe athlete that can't play sports. That's by cheering, somehow the victory will, like we get to share in the victory as well. But really, it is a statistical fact across a wide range of different team sports all around the world. Teams simply win more often when they play in their home stadium with their home fans cheering for them. And while it may not be possible to directly, scientifically link home team victories with fans cheering for them, just to kind of prove my point, I um, I would like for you to imagine with me a little experiment imagine for a second that up here on stage we had set up a puzzle you know one of those uh, like one of those minute to win it kind of games where you have to come up and you like you balance three golf balls on top of themselves or the one where you had the really tight line and you have to hang nails by their head on the on the wire something like that it's something you know it's like you have to be really careful now imagine i bring you up and you are standing here and you're going to do this puzzle. And while you do it, everybody else is standing on their feet going, Yes! Oh, I know you can do it. You're the best at this. Yeah, I believe in you. You can totally do this. Just breathe. Take your time. There's no pressure. Success is guaranteed. Just relax and go for it. Do you think that that would give you a better chance of success than if everybody out there was saying, Boo! Boo! You're horrible! Choke! 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 You'll never be able to do it. That's impossible, especially for somebody as clumsy as you. And I know right now, some of you educators, you object-lesson-oriented or type folks are thinking to yourself, wow, you know what? That would have been a really good, like, live object lesson to kind of put on stage and do, and actually it would have made the sermon a little more interesting, David. You might try that a little more often, and that all may be true, except for the possibility of the poor person who happened to draw the boo straw. If you actually put yourself, if you actually imagine yourself being that volunteer from the audience that comes in not knowing what's going to happen, and all of a sudden hears the entire church boo you. Well, we know we could actually, like we could actually do real harm to that person. And we all know that like intuitively, especially imagine you bring a kid up here and we all boo them. Like, that's, that's traumatic. We could get arrested, and rightfully so. And I bring all this up not just to rehash the glory days of the six-man in Arco Arena and the fact that we were almost able to cheer the Kings to an NBA title. But I bring it up to bring up a reality that we often forget, even at church. And that is, we human beings are spiritual beings. We have spiritual power. And with that spiritual power, we are able to affect other people, both positively and negatively. And it is this truth about us that forms the basis for the power of prayer. One of the most helpful or easiest to understand definitions I've heard about the idea of spirit is from Dallas Willard, who defines spirit as simply non-bodily personal power. Non-bodily personal power. In other words, a person's spirit is all the power he or she has that is not connected Or dependent on their body. So stuff like authority. Love. Desire. Will. Anger. Joy. Fear. These are all spiritual elements of who we are. And through which we as people actually wield great power. But they are not you know, necessarily dependent on our body for us to exercise them. And if you don't believe, me, or if you're struggling with the idea, I just want you to picture this scenario for a moment. Just think about the last time that you went on a family trip that one member of the family didn't want to go on. Just picture it. Maybe it's vacation, maybe you're going to the movies, maybe you're going to a birthday party, a dinner party, whatever it is. Picture that moment, now feel the car ride. Right? I mean, they don't have to say a word. They don't even have to look at you. But they still affect the mood, the spirit of the car, don't they? On the other hand, of course, what does it feel like to go on a trip where one family member is really, really excited? That one family member actually has the power to get the rest of the car excited about it. Or, or they have the power to really, really annoy the people in the car that don't want to be excited about this whole thing. Either way, what we are feeling in the car on that trip is that person's non-bodily personal power at work. We are experiencing their spirit. Our spirit is experiencing their spirit, and it affects us. Because, of course, as members of the human race, we interact with each other on a spiritual plane. We can actually sense each other's spirit, and we are affected by it. And this sense of us as human beings being spiritually sensitive to each other actually opens up the possibility of there being such a thing as a communal or a collective spirit. In other words, a group of people can align their spirit, their non bodily personal power so that it is a collective non-bodily personal power and this of course is what I believe I might be wrong but I this is what I believe we see happening in a home crowd cheering for their team you see 50,000 people aligning their desire for victory and directing it at their team to help them will will them forward And this can happen not just in a stadium, of course, but it can happen in a country. It can happen in a state. It can happen in a city, in a town, in a neighborhood, in a company, in a school, in a family. And of course, it is true as well of the church. Except for with the church, there's an added power to it. You see, when people come together in the name of Jesus and by the grace of God are grafted into the community of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is not just human spirit that comes together. But those human spirits are joined by the all-powerful Holy Spirit. So now, in the church, whatever power there is in the collective human spirit, it is immeasurably stronger because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So whatever desire, authority, strength, love, forgiveness, joy, patience, self-control, kindness, hospitality that we might have had as people, it is now immeasurably multiplied and strengthened by the will, authority, strength, love, joy, forgiveness, hospitality of the Holy Spirit and of course the power of the Holy Spirit is especially active in our collective spirit when we as a church come together to pray and it is this reality the reality of our communal spirit for which Jesus is preparing us I believe When he teaches his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven. You see, right from the beginning, Jesus wanted his followers to know, to teach us, that prayer is not something we do on our own. Not that we can't pray by ourselves, like that it's illegal to pray unless you have like a minimal quorum, three or four people together. That's not what I mean. What he's explaining to us, I believe, is that when we pray, we pray in connection with all the other followers of Christ around the world. Our spirit by virtue of being connected into the Trinity through Jesus, is now linked up with the spirit of all of those who claim allegiance to Jesus and is empowered by the Holy Spirit himself so that even when we are alone, we always pray together with all of God's people, our Father in heaven. It's a fascinating picture that the Apostle John paints regarding prayer in the Book of Revelation, verse eight, where he describes the prayers of God's people as being like bowls of incense. And I just love that picture. There's bowls of incense, like the prayers get collected, they get stored up, they gathered, they get mixed in with all of each other. That that the prayer of God's people actually has somewhat of a cumulative effect. Jesus teaches us that we always pray as a community. And as a community, our prayer should be, hallowed be thy name. In other words, prayer should be that God would be recognized and honored by all. See, we live in a world of people that are in rebellion against God. Some of them are in rebellion against Him and don't even know it. They're just just being carried on by the collective spirit of this age, by their culture, peer pressure, call it whatever you want. But nevertheless, the world lives in ignorance. They don't realize that the God that created the universe that we live in loves them. And so Jesus calls us to join our spirit with his in our desire that they might know and revere God. This was basically the focus of this little prayer pod experience that we just kind of concluded here where over the past six weeks or so, a number of us here at Oak Hills gathered in groups of three or four. You know, most of the time it was virtually and we just prayed together for specific people in our lives that don't know God. And throughout this experiment, we were just praying, hallowed be your name in the lives of these people that do not realize that you are who you are? Next in this prayer that Jesus teaches us, the next focus that he brings us to is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whether it is the string of mass shootings in our country, the war in Ukraine, the plight of the migrants that are headed once again to our borders, the state of the families in our country, the stresses that are faced by our children growing up in our society. What is the goodest good that we could possibly ask for this world? Well, that the good government of God would be established. That the good desires of God would come true for this world that he loves. That would literally make everything right. Essentially here, Jesus is teaching us to pray for world peace, which, you know, sounds kind of silly, sounds trite, sounds dismissive, sounds pointless. But again, it's not just you praying for world peace. Frank Laubach was a missionary to the Philippines in the Early to uh, mid-20th century, he wrote a book titled Prayer, The Mightiest Force in the World, Thoughts for an Atomic Age. If you haven't read it, they won't let you into heaven if you haven't read that book. Just just warning you, you know, I don't want you to be surprised at the last minute. It was published in 1946. It was a year after the atomic bomb, of course, was dropped in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. The world, as a whole, was exhausted by war and death and destruction and hate, which sounds familiar, doesn't it? With that re- reality in mind, uh, Labak writes this. Sorry, this is a long quote. I had to actually limit how much of <laughs> it I was going to read. Uh, Labak writes, "Thy kingdom come on earth is not only Christian." It is the only possible roadway to lasting peace. The future of the world depends upon whether you and enough others like you pray widely enough and often enough. Enough people praying enough will release into the human bloodstream the mightiest medicine in the universe. For we shall be the channels through whom God can exert his infinite power. He goes on. If prayers can save the world, asked a friend, why haven't the prayers of the devout done it already? Because their prayers have been a trickle when we needed a river. The world at this moment is the resultant total thought forces which have struggled for supremacy. Hundreds were praying when we needed hundreds of millions People prayed for a few minutes a week when they should have been praying all week, all year, without ceasing. Prayer is powerful, but it is not the power of a sledgehammer that crushes with one blow. It is the power of sun rays and raindrops, which bless because there are so many of them. Prayer is powerful, but it is not the power of a sledgehammer that crushes. With one blow. It is the power of sun rays and raindrops, which bless because there are so many of them. And when I first read this passage from Lab, it changed my entire perspective on prayer. Prayer had always been this very lonely endeavor for me where I went into my private space and I gritted my teeth and I furrowed my brown and I tried to make stuff happen on my own. It really felt like trying to swing a 15-pound sledgehammer all by myself. And I'll be honest, I just never saw much happen. And it was very discouraging. But the truth embedded in how Jesus taught us to pray is that we are never alone when we do it. We pray as part of the body of Christ. And so we pray together with millions of others like raindrops from heaven, praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Which with this in mind, you can immediately see how essential unity in the church is. Right? I mean, how important it is that our first desire, our first loyalty be to God and his kingdom not our own personal success and advances not our people's prosperity not our country's protection and success i mean right now at this moment there are christ followers in the ukraine christ followers in russia if their prayers their prayers focus mainly on their own country's success what happens to them this past week all across Country, but in Sacramento County especially, uh, we had voting. We had Christians who are Democrats and Christians who are Republicans coming to the polls. What happens to their prayers if their prayers are solely for the success of their political affiliations? What happens to Christian businesses? when when their prayers are only for their own financial success. It's not that our needs are unimportant. It's not that God does not care about what we need. Of course He does. The very next line in Jesus' prayer is, give us today our daily bread. God wants us and our family to have enough to eat, of course. But again, it is us. It is our, not Me and mine. What happens if the churches in Folsom are divided? They hold animosity towards one another. What if in this room we are holding grudges against one another? Our spirits will not align with one another. There will be spiritual disunity, which will hinder the power of our collective prayer for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, of course, forgiveness and reconciliation and prayer is essential. Jesus' lesson in prayer goes on. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who who owe us, who have sinned against us. You see, unforgiveness, resentment, Grudges, those are our our spiritual forces as well. And they operate in opposition to the kingdom of God and what God wants to happen in the world. We hold on to unforgiveness. It's like showing up to a Kings game in a Lakers jersey. (laughs) It takes you out of the game. Of course, it's not just true of unforgiveness. It's true of lust, fear, greed, selfish ambition, impatience, all sin, all inclination to evil. When we succumb to temptation, any temptation, it bumps our spirit out of alignment with the spirit of God. It hurts our prayer. It's true when it happens to me as an individual, when it happens to us as a community, as a church. Because again, it is possible for the spirit of an entire group of people to be out of line with God's will. So... Jesus' prayer concludes, "Lead, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Disunity and sin hinder the strength of the prayer of the church. But imagine, just imagine, if all those who believe in Jesus stood together in unity of spirit, aligned their spirit with the Holy Spirit. And together desired and called for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven for God's kingdom to come. I mean, just think of the Christ followers at your office. If all were united and aligned together with the Holy Spirit. Just imagine the joy and the love and the peace and the patience and the kindness that would flow through that environment. Through that office, that school, that neighborhood, that family. Imagine the breath of life that would flow in an environment like that. And of course, please hear me. I'm not saying that one single prayer doesn't matter. And that one person on their knees can't make a difference. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that there is actually no such thing as one single prayer. But every time we bow our heads and we direct our spirit to God in prayer, we join together with the millions of prayers that have been And are being prayed even right now. That's what happens when you take time to pray for an individual. It's what happens when your small group gathers for prayer at the end of its gathering. It's what happens here before the 9 o'clock service when the folks gather to pray. It's what happens in the middle of the service when we pause together for our community prayer. It's what was happening over the past six weeks in our Prayer pods. It's what's happening as we pray for our ministry partners far away. It's what happens when you take the time after the service to check in with somebody else to see how they're doing and pause and put a hand on their shoulder and pray, God's kingdom come. His will be done in your life, in your situation. You see, you and I, we actually have no idea what it's like to live in a world that is not bathed in prayer. Think about that. For centuries, all around the world, disciples of Jesus have been praying this prayer for this world. Prayer is happening. The Holy Spirit is working through the church to make God's will happen on earth as it is in heaven. question for you and me, for us as Oak Hills Church in Folsom, is whether or not we're going to engage and join the fight whether or not we are going to lend our spirit, our voice, and be part of a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering for the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God to break out in our world. Our families, our friends, our church, our city, our state, our country, our world is gasping for breath, both literally and spiritually. And when we turn our spirit to God, we become a conduit of the life breath of God to flow from us into the world. So let's pray alone in groups of three, in churches of a hundred, in gatherings of thousands. Let's pray at home, in the car, in the office, at church, at school, on the lake, on the mountain, in the field. Let's pray for an hour, for a minute, for a second, for a day, for a lifetime. Let's start now. Would you bow your heads with me? And as we close, I just want to lead us through this prayer that Jesus taught us. I'll be using a prayer, a paraphrase uh, translation from Dallas Willard, just to kind of break us out of our routine. So I just invite you to align your spirit, align your will, your desire, your heart, your love. And just as I pray, join along with me in your heart. Dear Father, always near us. May your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need. Forgive us our sins and impositions on you, as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad because you're the one in charge we agree and acknowledge that you have all the power and the glory too is all yours forever which is just the way we want it to be